Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Providence Journal's College Basketball Podcast. This is Bill Koch, sports writer for the Journal, uh, in my home office here in Warwick. Uh, I am on Zoom with my two usual co-conspirators here on this beautiful Tuesday morning. Uh, the sports director at WPRI and Fox Providence, Maury Hirsch-Gordon. Maury, how are we doing? Doing well, Kachi. Last week was the best week uh, for sports fans on the calendar, and this one is now the best week for our audience here in Rhode Island. Very well said. Uh, also joined by the sports director at ABC6 and the weekend co-host of Cordishi and Coit on, on uh, WEI Providence, Nick Coit, ladies and gentlemen. Coity, are we living? We're living busy, as Maury mentioned, because last week was a very busy week with all the things we have, and this week will also be a very busy week with all the things that we have on the calendar. But uh, we always look forward to this, uh, particularly if you're a college basketball fan, because this is rivalry week and this is what it's all about. Yes, we will save the rivalry breakdown for a separate special edition of the podcast, which will come later this week. Uh, keep an eye out for Brown Bryant and URIPC. Uh, that will drop at some point Thursday or Friday. Uh, for now, we want to catch up on, on everybody else. Uh, and we will start with the Bulldogs uh, because Bryant is officially on the map nationally uh, after what happened over the weekend at Syracuse. Uh, Bryant, a 73-72 win uh, in the venue formerly known as the Carrier Dome. Uh, Maury, I'm not going to refer to it by its new name. I, I just, I, I refuse. I refuse out of solidarity. Uh, will not do it. Uh, Sharif Gross Bullock, the, the artist formerly known as Sharif Kenny, goes down the lane, gets a floater to fall, hit the rim two or three times and dropped in for the game winner at the Horn. Uh, Brian obviously played Syracuse to open 2020-21, lost by a point. Uh, this time they get the orange uh, in an absolute stunner for people nationally, but maybe not as much for us, right, guys? No, not at all. Uh, nope. Very not not surprised in the least bit. I think we need to get that out first and foremost. Um, they almost beat Syracuse, like you said, a couple of years ago, a team that ended up going to the Sweet 16. Um and Jared Grosso's team has been knocking on the door for this opportunity. Credit Syracuse and Jim Beheim for wanting to play them again. Some teams around here, some Power Five teams, some bigger teams would never go near a team. Uh, you know, again, if, if, if you had just squeaked by on your home court a season or two prior. But, yeah, this Bryant team came out and just the typical Jared Grosso team. They felt like they belonged on the court from the first – from right from jump. And that's what you need when you go out on the road and you face a power five club like Syracuse in the ACC. And regardless of how old Jim Beheim is, and e even though Syracuse is, is far from what it was five, 10 years ago on a, on a yearly basis, I mean, still really impressive for Brian to go out there. And then you throw in everything that happened during the game with, um, you know, the skirmish and the benches clearing and the ejections. Brian was able to keep it together, um, you know, lost the lead there when they had led for much of the game and uh, found a way to win. Yeah, they were, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll hop in here. Um, you know, I, I think you mentioned it, Maury. It's, it's the fact that they were, they felt like they belonged. And this is a Jared Grosso team right away. We've talked about how much they have an identity. Um, they are nasty. They are tough. They're going to play you for, you know, 40 minutes and they're going to play you hard for 40 minutes. And it doesn't matter what the name is on the front of the uniform or the back of the uniform. They're going to play you tough. Uh, and, and we saw that on Saturday. 
and they weren't intimidated. And that goes for whether you're a Division three school opening the season against them or you are Syracuse at home. Um, and that's that's been consistent with what Jared Grasso has um, you know, put together with his with his teams the last couple of years. And, you know, I think the thing that's striking so far this season is the fact that they've been able to establish that identity with a lot of new faces right away this year. Um, and obviously we saw that in full display, you know, and <laughs> talking to some of the Bryant officials too. It was funny. Uh, I ran into to Bill Smith, the AD last night, and <laughs> he he was like that ball hung up on the rim for the longest time. But once it dropped down, uh, obviously a, a huge moment for the program. Yeah, massive in, in a game that, you know, honestly, Brian controlled really from start to finish. They had the lead. They were the ones who, who came out of the blocks hot, uh, you know, had a comfortable advantage in the first half and, and really – I think would have won by a lot more if it wasn't for an incident late in the first half uh, with Doug Edder and Judah Mintz, uh, you know, which I thought was completely ridiculous uh, and, and really hurt the Bulldogs. In the long term, uh, there's a foul in the lane. Judah Mintz is unhappy. He slaps Doug Edder in the face. Doug Edder retaliates by slapping Judah Mintz upside the head, and all hell breaks loose in the middle of the floor. Uh, John Bola Jock, who is a big man, comes after Doug Eddard, and Doug Eddard retreats. <laughs> he he turtles. Uh, this would not have been allowed in a hockey locker room, what he did. Uh, he was running for his life. He was not there to fight his own fight. Weak move by Doug Eddard, if, if we're being honest. Um, you know, stand in there, let your teammates get there. Uh, you know, they're not going to let you get beat up in the middle of the floor. Uh, have a little more faith than that. And if, honestly, if you're going to retaliate, you got to be ready to get in the fight. There's 10 guys out there, you know, head on a swivel. Um, but that cost Brian Eddard, uh, Tyler Brailsford, and Kevon Kramer. It took away two, three key members of their rotation. Uh, and you could see late in the second half, Bryant was really losing their legs. Uh, you know, really short bench there. Charles Pride played all 40 minutes in this game. Uh, you had other guys buried for big minutes against an ACC roster. You know, one that's big and strong and, uh, you know, kept coming all the way to last minute. Uh, you know, I would have been interested to see if if there were no ejections, uh, what the final would have been. Honestly, I, I think Bryant did themselves a disservice there. Um, you know, but ultimately, you look at what happened and you look at the box score and it's guys who Jared has either brought in or developed over time uh, getting this done. Antoine Walker with 11 point, 18 points and 11 rebounds in this game. He was the America East co-player of the of the week, um, you know, played a huge factor until he fouled out late. Earl Timberlake was big in this game until he fouled out late. Um, I would say, guys, and, and I don't think this is too big of a reach, in, in certain positions, Bryant had better players. Yeah, absolutely. And and the fit for what they have at each position, I, that that's the thing that I think Jared and his staff have done so well is bring in guys that fit what they want to do. I mean, Antoine Walker – you know, he can run the floor, but he's he's perfect for what they need in the front court. Um, you know, just tough, a guy that's going to grab you a lot of boards, but he's really athletic, um, you know, and obviously has the experience of playing in the Atlantic 10. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, these are guys that, you know, there's a lot of experience there. And they, you know, we hear the phrase all the time, and they get cool, he's the one that uses the most, you know, get old, stay old. And that's what they've done with the transfer portal. They, they you know... Yeah, they have some guys that are, you know, on the younger side, you know, Timberlake's, you know, I guess on the younger side, but 
until those couple of years, college basketball experience. So yeah, they've, they've gotten older and they've stayed older and the experience just showed up. So I, I agree with you. And we've talked about with a guy like Timberlake, like that's a huge kind of prospect. You know, he was part of huge programs. Like that's, you know, I, I think in that sense, you look at it and you say on paper, yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Up and down the lineup, all these guys have played, whether they started their careers in power fives or, <clears throat> or, or big programs, Antoine Walker, Georgetown, Earl Timberlake, we know Memphis and Miami and um, Sharif Gross Bullock was in the A-10 with LaSalle and uh, Doug Eddard, we know was, you know, a key part of an elite eight run last year, taking down Titans in college basketball. And it's all held together by Charles Pride, who's a four-year guy in the program and uh, is an extension of Jared Grossel on the court. Uh, and then, you know, off the bench, even Miles Latimer coming in, having to play 32 minutes because of the ejections. He was a mid-year transfer last year after starting his career at Stony Brook and Bucknell. And he comes in and just one turnover in 32 minutes uh, was not rattled at all. You know, chips in nine points and four rebounds. So, you know, Jared Grosso, despite not having three players at his disposal, uh, you know, still is able to get it done on the road. It speaks volumes to where this Bryant program is, um, the talent that they've attracted. And I was talking about this off the air, uh, you know, before we started. But, you know, if Brian can somehow win that FAU game a couple weeks ago, you know, then you're really looking at, you know, a six and they'd be seven and oh at this point. You pop a couple more wins and they're like on the fringe of a top 25. You know, they're, they're starting to get votes um, because you have this type of a win. And, you know, they, they obviously have gotten a ton of national love, uh, but regionally and locally. You know, I was not shocked in the least bit that they came out and won. I think the line even only started, it was like seven or seven and a half. So there was a lot of respect already coming into the game uh, for Bryant. Yeah, of course, my inbox after this game had a couple messages from folks in upstate New York uh, wagging their fingers at Bryant's demeanor uh, in this game. Uh, you know, obviously unappreciative of Jared Grasso's demeanor and uh, of his players' actions at, at certain points. We know Jared doesn't care. Uh, you know, it. it's not the most flattering light to have three players ejected in a game, certainly. Um, you know, but I want to go to the postgame reaction by Jim Beheim. Uh, you know, obviously in his postgame press conference, uh, he had a complaint about the handshake line. Uh, he said some of Bryant's players didn't come back to shake hands, and that's what you do. Um, you know, he said Grasso offered an apology, but it was a sarcastic one. Uh, you know, Jim Beheim was was in full uh, vintage cantankerous mode. Uh, you know, it's it's a space that he's occupied for the better part of 30 years. And, and now as he ages into his career and has more of these losses, he veers into it more often. Uh, you know, and I would say about Jim Beheim that, you know, one of the things about coaches at, at his level and, and his experience and who've had his career, uh, they tend to veer into thinking that they're gods or, or kings or, you know, moral arbiters in some way. Jim Beheim's a basketball coach. If he wants to complain about sarcastic apologies and whatever else, I'll take a lecture from Jay Wright on class. I'm not going to take it from Jim Beheim personally, because he's always got something to say. He could have bought out of this game. My, my impression was that it was a two-game contract the last time. Um, you know, if they did schedule another one game contract with these guys, what were they thinking? What were his assistant coaches doing? He never should have played Bryant after the bad blood that happened the first time. Uh, so if that's the case, Jim Beheim lacks oversight of his program and his assistants. Um, you know, at, at worst, you could have bought out of this game. 
there, there are clauses in all these contracts. We saw it with URI in Nevada years ago where Nevada didn't want to come back to Kingston and they paid URI 50 grand not to do it. Um, you know, if you were that concerned about it, if you were that worried about Jared Grasso and his moral standing in the sport, you could have bought out of the game. You didn't have to play Bryant. You could have played anybody else, literally anybody else. You're Syracuse. You could throw a $100,000 check at someone. They'll come up to the place formerly known as the Carrier Dome, have their dinosaur barbecue or the varsity, get beat and go home. But this is not the Syracuse program of old. I, I was talking to Kevin McNamara after uh, the PC game on Saturday. Kevin obviously was an undergrad there in the salad days in the 80s and, and the 90s. And I said, Kevin, could you have ever imagined a time where Syracuse would lose two home buy games to Colgate and Bryant? And he said, absolutely not. Whenever we played non-conference teams previously, we'd just blow them out because they had Sherman Douglas and Derek Coleman and Carmelo Anthony. This team doesn't have that sort of talent. Jim Beheim doesn't have that sort of program anymore. And, and I think that seeing him comment the way he did post game the other day was just a reminder of how far they've fallen. Would you like to have the floor, Maury? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I don't want this podcast to, to veer into a, into a different planet. Uh, sure. but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I agree. I think, um, you know, uh, I think Bayheim knows that he's, uh, you know, he's rounded third base like 10, 15 years ago. Uh, and as a, as a, you know, fan of Syracuse, I think it's been, uh, it's been documented on this podcast. My father grew up there and had season tickets. So I, you know, slept under a picture under an 80 inch picture of the carry dome growing up. I have a big allegiance to Syracuse, but yeah, it's, it's definitely been a different time. Um, I think a, a lot of it is because Syracuse in the ACC, uh, we see the success that UConn is having and the, um, the energy that has been infused into the program since they've come back from the American, but they're just in the wrong league. Um, for whatever reason, haven't been able to get the same players, uh, that they, that they had, even, even, you know, five years ago, six, six, seven years ago. So kudos to Bryant. Doesn't take anything away from Bryant, though. Syracuse is still Syracuse. Syracuse is still a Titan. They're still a top 10 all-time winning program in the country. When you think of Blue Bloods, you think of the greatest ever. And if you don't take away those wins from Bayheim, he's still got over 1,100 career wins. Um, you know, I don't know if any other coach in the history of college basketball will have, you know, will, will end up coming close to that ever again. Um, but uh, yeah, kudos, kudos to Bryant. And now we finally get to see them at home against a Division One opponent, which uh, it's been quite a long wait, but uh, we're, we're excited for that one on Friday. Yeah, I'll just add this, um, you know, because I, I think Bill said it, you know, I, I agree with Bill's thoughts. Uh, I'm sure I'll have more with my uh, my co-host on Saturday mornings, who is a Syracuse grad, who does agree about, you know, Bayheim and where he is in the point of the program. But I'm sure he's going to have more to say. So I'm sure we'll have back and forth on that. But with all the accomplishments that you just mentioned, Maury, I just it, I shake my head that the fact that he's he's pointing over and like worried about a few Bryant players after a scuffle, shaking hands like stop. Don't yeah. don't do that. If you won the game. Is Jim Beheim doing that? Probably not, and that's why. No way, zero. I'm just chance. like, yeah, come no on, way. man. Stop. Or it. also, just just think back to what it was, you know, even twenty years ago in the Big East, ten years ago when 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 the league got eleven teams in, like this was commonplace, game yeah. in, game out, right? You had these skirmishes, you had, but 
sports and refereeing and our world in general has just gotten a little softer. So, um, you know, when you're on the losing side of things, then you you just want to run your mouth. Yep. And that's what he did. And it's, it's honestly, it's, it's crybaby stuff and it's, it's, it's below what Jim Beheim should be. Um, And so whatever it it is, what it is, you know, good for Bryant for going up there and winning the game. They won the game. It's a notch on their belt. And Jared, as you mentioned, Bill, Jared, we asked him again last night after the Framingham State game, you know, do you care to comment, whatever. Jared doesn't care about anything but his team and players and whatnot. And he had a pretty good quote. It was, it was very much, it was like, you know, this kind of stuff wasn't coming up when we were 3-28 and 28 in my first season and trying to, you know, rebuild the program. Now that we have success, these sorts of things will pop up. And so he's like, I'll take it if we're going to win games and we're going to be successful and competing for NCAA tournaments. So it was well said. Yeah, for, for better or for worse, that's who they are and, and who they're going to be. Uh, you know, at some point, if if they're down bad in the second half and he's got four or five guys hurt, uh, some other team's going to press on the gas and beat him by 40. You know, that's yeah. that's just the way it is. Uh, you know, this sort of thing comes back around, but, but not right now for Brian. Yep. Uh, you know, they are in a great place in terms of their program, in terms of the way they've started the season. Uh, as we said, they get Brown on their home floor on Friday night, uh, a nice appetizer for PCURI. Uh, we will break that one down in the next edition of the pod. Uh, speaking of the Friars, guys, uh, they have an important game on Wednesday night at TCU as part of the Big East Big 12 battle. Uh, you know, really one of the last non-conference chances they have to make an impression. Um, you know, they came off an empty weekend at Mohegan Sun with two home wins, one over Merrimack, one over Columbia on Saturday, uh, you know, and, and guys, I, I just, you know, I watched those two games uh, against Merrimack and against Columbia. They, they were both, you know, uneven performances. They, they both had certain guys play well at certain times, uh, you know, but maybe not the collective play well the whole time. Um, you know, Saturday's game, 78-64 over Columbia, uh, a game that Devin Carter suffered a shoulder injury in the second half. He didn't play the last 10 minutes. Uh, Jared Bynum was held out the last 10 minutes, whether that was rest or, you know, Ed Cooley wanted to get Jaden Pierre a little extra run and Alan Breed a little extra run because he knew he'd need them later on. Who knows? Um, you know, but I wondered just if either of you guys learned anything or, or noticed anything different about Providence the last two games that could serve them well, because otherwise it, it's just two wins in the column against teams that we knew they would beat. Um, I, I I think maybe the second game there, Bill, I think Wednesday was kind of, you could tell that, that Ed was a little, I don't know, frustrated is the right word, but just, uh, I don't know. It, it, I don't know. Wednesday before Thanksgiving, it just, they kind of just played and they got it done. Um, I thought the second half maybe, maybe on, on Saturday with Columbia, that was better. Um, you know, I, I think there's, I don't know. It's tough. It's, it's really tough, um, you know, because I, I think once you when you play a team like TCU, I think you're probably going to learn a little bit more, um, you know. But I, I think, a, I don't know, a guy like Pierre, to me, I, I think if if he can consistently contribute, um, I think it's going to bode well for this team. I, I think he's he's got something I think that can that you can add to this team. Um, and that's that's a great thing for a young player to step in and, and do that. Um but I don't know. It's been kind of, 
there's been good points. There's been there's been tough points for Providence. It hasn't been really consistent. They haven't had a game where you're like, whoa, totally so far. Yeah. Um, the two games last week, no. I mean, I think that's the short answer. I did not learn anything new uh, about this team that will better position themselves to go into TCU and win. Now, could they go in and win by 15-20? That would not shock me in the least. But if you're asking the question of, the, the two games that we watched this past week, did we learn anything? No. We saw Alan Breed come off the bench on Wednesday as the sixth man after Ed Cooley failed to play him in the second half against St. Louis. We, 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 we saw last night, I checked in, uh, I saw, you know, peering at some scores that Columbia started the game at Marist 0 for 17 from the floor and scored 39 points total. And Columbia was within two possessions at the 1330 mark of the second half on the road to PC. So no, there, there was nothing that I saw in the last two games that offers any improvement uh, from, from, you know, the first two weeks of the season. Um, could they put it together? They could. Um, I still think it's important for Ed Cooley to shave down his, his rotation Asked him last year before this week, before the game, home game at TCU. Uh, he said he was very confident in his rotation. He ended up showing us that he was. Um, I think deep down, and Ed would tell you if he uh, was put on a lie detector test, that he is not confident at all with his guys uh, as a collective. He's got a few guys who he's confident in, um, but not necessarily in the roles that they play on a nightly basis. It's a big test, and this is a must-win game to go to TCU and win because if they lose to TCU and they're only, and they've one of the weakest non-conference schedules in the country, your best non-conference win, if they can even get it done, which we're not even at that point yet would be Saturday at URI for a team that's going to finish middle of the pack in the A-10. So then before you go to Madison square garden in March, if you want to punch your ticket for an at-large bid, you'd have to win 13 games in the big East. And with the way that UConn performed and with the way that we know Creighton, you know, plays and Xavier, it's going to be really hard to get to 13 to be set. You're in the dance before Madison square garden. You can lose your first game. If they don't get this win at TCU, even 12, maybe it's going to be hard. So I think it's must win. If, If you're looking at the NCAA tournament and you're thinking, you know, about getting back to the big dance, um, or else this team will have, you know, a lot of work cut out for itself. For, for anyone who doubts that we are college hoop junkies, on what other podcast will you get a Columbia Marist reference? That is outstanding. <laughs> I mean, really. Outstanding, yeah, good catch. Yeah. Well done. I, was, I wasn't looking at Columbia's box score the rest of the year until they played Brown. So good for you, Maury, no, for picking up well on done. that. Well done. They had, one, they had one point in their – They didn't score for the first 10 minutes of the game, and their first field goal came – let's see here. Yeah, their first field goal came at the 550 mark in the first half. It took them 14-plus minutes to score against Marist. This is a team that put up 64 against Providence, and it was a two-possession game for almost 30 minutes into it. It's just – guys got to care. Guys got to buy in, and that's not what we're seeing yet. Yeah. yeah, coming into the Providence game, Columbia's wins were against Delaware State, uh, who's 362 in Ken Palm. There are 363 teams in college basketball this year in Division One, uh, And their other win was against SUNY Maritime, uh, you know, which 
I'm sure they could help you if you're on the Block Island Ferry. I don't think they could help you playing basketball. Uh, you know, so let's be serious about what the Friars faced here. It's a 2020 game with six minutes left in the first half. They go on a 15 to two run, um, build a little breathing room. And, and then in the second half, like you said, Maury, it's down to six. It's a 47, 41 game uh, before Providence ultimately puts it away. They're, they're just too big and too strong and athletic for Columbia. Uh, you know, that's a team that's going to struggle in the Ivy league, let alone non-conference. Um, but TCU, of course, will, will be a major step up in class. Uh, they had a stunner against Northwestern State at home in their third game, uh, you know, but significantly better results since then. Cal is dreadful, uh, but they still are a Pac-12 school. They beat Cal. And then an impressive win over Iowa, who is a tough team. Um, you know, Iowa is, is a perennial top 25 team under Fran McCaffrey, type of team that you look at as a contender in the Big Ten, and TCU beat them by 13 last time out. Uh, you know, so they seem to be rounding into form. They have really good players, you know, whether it's Mike Miles, uh, you know, a guy who will be on the radar in terms of an all-Big 12-type team. Um, you know, guys like Micah Peavy and Chuck O'Bannon, those guys are experienced. They've played in big, big games. Um, you know, so Providence is, is in for it. Uh, you know, and I, I look at what they did. On Saturday, I, I do think people have been calling more for Jaden Pierre. I, I think you see talent there, obviously, with the freshman. He had 13 points in the game, and, and tied Ed Croswell for team high honors. Looked like a guy who was very comfortable on the backcourt. We, we talked about this last week, um, about whether or not you could see Jaden Pierre and Jared Bynum playing together and whether or not that's too small defensively. And I know Ed Cooley's concerned about that end of the floor. He's concerned about defensive rebounding. Uh, he's concerned about how his guys would match up, um, you know, but ultimately I, I think they're still looking for a balance and, and maybe at the offensive end, you need a little more Jaden Pierre out there. Uh, you know, you, you look at the rest of their team, not necessarily shooting the ball all that well. Um, you know, they are getting the ball to the rim. Ed Croswell had a better game against Columbia and you're going to need him to be big against TCU. Um, Bynum is playing a bit more as a facilitator. He's had 14 assists in his last two games. He's only had more than that in one other two-game span during his time at Providence. That was uh, in the 2020-21 season. Um, you know, so you wonder if maybe he's evolving into a more pure point guard and, and that if his shot will come back naturally through that. He, he struggled from three, but perhaps if he's viewed as a non-shooter by some teams and, and maybe only a creator, he'll get a little more space. Um, you know, that that could be incumbent upon his teammates to help him out a little bit there. Um, you know, but I, I think Ed Cooley is still searching. I think Coit has used that word before and, and it's the correct one. I, I think he's still searching for a mix here, uh, still searching for lineup combinations that, that optimize the talent that we know is there. Yeah. And I, I think uh, it's a good point about Bynum, um, you know, because I think if he does become more of a distributor, um, you know, it, it will open things up for him. And I think that's the right way to go. Uh, you know, if, if you're Jared, you, you have the talent to set up other guys. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that's, it's a good point by you, Bill. Um, but yeah, I, it, you know, that we keep talking about searching and, and finding roles and cutting down the rotation. This was, as Maury pointed out, this was right around the time last year where I think Ed really solidified. Okay. I, I think he knew early on last year, the idea of what, roles were going to be 
Um, but it was that Texas Tech game right before URI where it really seemed to be nailed down. And so, you know, I think with all the searching that they've done, you know, you hope maybe maybe something happens naturally in the TCU game where you say, okay, this is this is what I'm going to go with. Maybe you'll start to find the answers here. This this could be the week. We'll we'll see. But it's going to have to happen soon because you know, unlike some years past, um, you know, the Big East play starts much faster now, a couple weeks earlier, and so you know, and as Maury pointed out, it's not going to be an easy road with you know some of the play we've seen out of UConn and and Creighton so far. Yeah, and last year, you know, both of the this big swing week, the statement week that PC had with the wins over, you know, Texas Tech and then URI, both were at home. Uh, and I think that's, that is, it's so much different to go on the road. Now, you know, as a little aside, Koch and I were talking about this at the AMP on Wednesday when they beat Merrimack, that luckily when the Friars go down there and play them on Wednesday night, uh, any Horn Frog fan will care more, way more about football on Saturday in the Big 12 championship and the potential at making the college football playoff than they will about Jamie Dixon's squad playing hoops. So you hope that maybe less people come out, um, more people are just focused on football. You know, they're not into basketball season down there quite yet. So maybe that gives, you know, PC, you know, a little bit more of a chance in terms of not having to face um, you know, the road atmosphere that they will have to face on Saturday in Kingston. Uh, however, it's still a long flight. You're still away from home. It is still their first true road game of the season. Um, you know, while last year they, they went at Wisconsin for the Big East for the Gavit games, uh, and then you had faced Virginia and, and Northwestern on, on neutral court. So you really had three, you had three up games. Um, or against teams on your own level that you had already in your pocket before you got to this week. Um, PC only has two this year, and uh, one against an A-10 team and one against the Miami team who's who's solid, uh, but definitely far from the top in the ACC. No, it, it's a good point. Uh, you know, TCU, if, if you were going to draw a tough Big 12 road opponent, uh, you definitely want one who's still in contention for the college football playoff, and that is currently TCU, uh, who is 12-0 and, and and will be waiting on the Big 12 championship game this weekend. Um, you know, so that is a Wednesday tip. Uh, I think that's ESPN Plus, I want to say. I think it's 8 o'clock. Um, you know, but that's one to, to keep an eye out for. Big game for Providence, of course. Uh, URI is idle until that Saturday matchup with the Friars. Uh, and similar to Columbia and Marist, uh, they made my eyes bleed on Sunday at, at Conte Forum, uh, you know, playing Boston College, a, a game that was the very definition of a rock fight, uh, 53-49 final for the Eagles. Two teams combined went four for 30 from three-point range. Uh, you know, you or I was in this game all the way until the end. And, and the way I wrote it and sort of the way Archie Miller said it was, um, you know, this is a game that they'll expect to win in the future and hope to win in the future, but maybe they're just not quite ready to, to win a game like this right now. Uh, you know, possession by possession game, they are offensively challenged. Uh, they missed a couple big free throws down the stretch. They made one defensive mistake that ultimately they were punished for on a pick and roll. Uh, Devin McLaughlin gets to the rim and scores uh, with 107 left. That breaks a 48-48 tie. BC didn't trail from there. Uh, you know, if you're Rhode Island, I see them as better 
than they were on opening night. I see them more connected. Uh, you know, Archie Miller said after the game, he sees them competing harder. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they're thinking less and reacting more. Uh, I think they're more comfortable with what he's trying to teach and, and their systems offensively and defensively. Um, I just don't necessarily think that it's come together yet from a performance standpoint. Uh, you know, I look at them offensively and they don't really have a third score. Uh, Brayon Freeman has really come on here and Ish Leggett has had a great start to the year, but they don't get much out of the front court or the other starters. Um, you know, I look at them defensively and, you know, they certainly played well against BC, um, you know, and certainly played well the previous game against Illinois State. Uh, but if you are bigger and more athletic than them, like Kansas State, uh, you can have your way with them, uh, you know, particularly inside. Uh, the Wildcats really did a number on them at the Cayman Islands Classic. So, you know, I see URI as a little better, uh, you know, obviously evolving still. They're, they're very early on in this rebuild under Miller. Um, you know, BC is a game that I think if you played it a couple of years from now and BC's talent level is still the same, URI would, would coast in this one and win by 10 to 12. But that's just not where they are right now. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, the development that you mentioned, um, you know, we talked about it, uh, last time, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, Archie Miller makes a decision that he does with Stony Brook game to sit Brayon Freeman. And then, you know, he comes out during the, uh, the Cayman Islands classic. And since then, you know, the kid has, has really, uh, he's really come on, he's really soared offensively. And that's, I think it's, it just has set the tone for, okay. As we mentioned, this guy is a coach who knows what he's doing and you see it with, you know, just that small development, you know, with a guy like Freeman. And I think that's going to trickle down in terms of establishing, you know, the, the culture here. Um, you know, I think they know what they have, you know, in the backcourt, you know, with the, you know, with Freeman and with Ish Leggett, um, you know, with the front court, I think there's still, you know, a little bit that maybe they're, they're searching for, you know, I think, what Chiku played, you know, double digit minutes, um, you know, against Boston College, but um, you know, Cayman Islands Classic, he wasn't playing at some points too, and so there's a little bit of searching there going on. But maybe it's less searching, maybe it's more just okay, guys, you know, you're going to earn your minutes on the floor, and that's the kind of you know culture that he's trying to establish here. Um, and I think that's a good thing because I think it promotes the the hard work that he wants to instill in this program. But I think. The large point is, as you said, Bill, they're better than they were when they started this season. Um, and that's a good thing because you want to see improvement from this program. Yeah, Archie Miller said it himself on Monday night uh, when the Friars and the Rams got together for uh, an NIL collective uh, exclusive webinar between both head coaches and uh, the voices of both programs. You know, he said we're way better than we were three weeks ago. And he said, he, you know, we will be way better you know, three weeks from now, he thinks that his team is, as any coach should think of their team, uh, has, has, you know, as much room to improve over the next couple of weeks as any team does in the country. Um, and, and, and you have to take that at face value with, you know, the experience that Freeman continues to get in just his, you know, we'll call it fifth game back uh, if the first two are really a wash and then the game that he, that he was the a DNPCD. Um, you know, and then if you potentially get a guy like Anthony Harris back, then, then, you know, maybe this URI team does have, um, you know, a little bit higher of an upside than, than maybe we thought at the beginning of the year, uh, or maybe we projected and thought it, we would see right away that it took a little bit of time to get to, um, but you have to like, you know, the improvement, um, 
Uh, Miller's squad is made. Yeah, Freeman, his last three games, 18 points, 21 points, 21 points against BC. Um, you know, was really the only guy who, who could make a shot from the perimeter. Uh, you know, was nine for 20 from the field. You or I only had 18 field goals and shot 30%. So that's that's really your only highlight in terms of offense. Um, you know, you go down the stretch and you have Joseph Bilal playing major minutes. He had seven rebounds in the game. He was a factor inside. Had two big free throws with about two minutes left. He missed them both. Uh, Ishleggett went to the line twice inside the final 130. He only made one of two both times. Um, and then the last possession, you're down by two. Uh, you draw it up for Freeman. Uh, you know, he gets free down the left side, gets into the trees, contested layup that he leaves on the front rim. Uh, Archie Miller said after the game they, they wanted to go. For a quick two in the tie, they, they felt like they had a play there and his guys executed it. Uh, and like he said, you know, he would back Brayon Freeman to make that layup more times than not. Uh, this time was just one of those occasions where it didn't go down. Um, you know, but he liked the execution. He liked the effort down the stretch. He, he just didn't necessarily like the result. And, and I think if you're in the for, first year of a rebuild, I, I think back to you know, Dan Hurley's first team at URI, uh, you know, a team that was short on talent, uh, but was long on sweat equity, uh, you know, really played some competitive games against teams who were quite frankly, just much better than them and, and didn't really have a lot to show. They went eight and 21 that year with, with some talented guys sitting out. Uh, the difference now is, is Miller has some transfers on the floor who can help like Freeman. Uh, I don't necessarily see this team as a single digit type win uh, team, I, I see them as somebody who, you know, has their best basketball ahead of them. Will they reach 500 at some point? I don't know. Uh, you know, but I don't see them playing in the dregs of the Atlantic 10. I, I, I think they have too much talent for that. Uh, preseason, I picked them, I think ninth in my preseason poll. Um, and from what I've seen so far, particularly the growth I've seen already from Quinnipiac to Sunday at BC. I feel pretty good about their prospects going forward, even this season. I, I, that doesn't mean that they're going to be in an A-10 semifinal or quarterfinal or, you know, they're going to have 18 wins or anything like that. But I don't think that they're going to be completely demoralized at any point, like some teams are in the first year of a rebuild as they get into March and just want it to end. Yeah, uh, and a lot of coaches, you know, to your point, Bill, say that, you know, once you get through those first six weeks of your season – once the academic calendar slows down and you can just focus on basketball and you have a month off for, for winter break or some schools have it even, even longer, that then you, that's when you see some of those teams make that jump. Um, you know, when it's just hoops, you can, you can get more shots up, you spend more time with the guys, um, you know, your attention isn't away from the court when you're trying to take care of your studies. Uh, and I think, you know, they have the non-conference schedule that will afford them opportunities to pick up wins. Um, and I do th think that, yes, this team is in that 8 to 10 range uh, in the A-10 tournament. And, and who knows, as of right now, if they continue to make those strides, you know, come March, probably don't want to face a team like URI who's got nothing to lose in, in, in a second round game. Yeah, I know. And those URI professors, man, they get all over you this time of the year. So, you know, it'll be nice <laughs> that they're off back, right? I hear they're terrible people. Coit, yeah, they're just, just tough. All the emails, all the, hey, sign up if you want to complete your final assignment for anchoring in the studio in Chafee Hall. That wasn't me, <laughs> was it? 
Couldn't have been you, was it? No, no, that wasn't me. No, no, no. These, I got great these, kids. That's I Professor Coin. These, <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> these tyrant, tyrant URI professors like Nick Coit and my boss, Bill Corey. Uh, I mean, really just terrible people. Really bad. Uh, don't take their <laughs> class. If you see them in the course book, do not sign up for it. Even if it's a requirement, try to take it with somebody else. Uh, I mean, the, really. The student athletes are some of my best kids. And I mean that. They're, they're great. Which is great to hear. And honestly, no surprise. Uh, you yeah. know, because... They are busy, and generally busy people get more done. They're, they, they're able to focus better. They have better habits. Uh, you know, that's that's part of the reason why they can do as much as they do in, in the course of a day. Uh, you know, they put my schedule to shame, that's for sure. Um, you know, so you or I will host Providence on Saturday. We will get more into that one on the next edition of the pod. Uh, the last men's team we will hit is Brown, uh, who had a win uh, over the weekend against – Maine, uh, Coit's loyalty is slightly divided in that one, slightly, uh, based on his former home uh, to the north. But uh, Brown really used one stretch in the second half. It was one big run about midway through the second half. They turned a three-point lead into a 17-point lead. Uh, they used a career day from Keno Lilly Jr., who had 32 points. Uh, a tight win over Maine, uh, you know, maybe a little little closer down the stretch than, than was comfortable for Mike Martin. Uh, you know, but at this point, he'll take anything. Uh, 70-63, the final. Brown finishes 2-1 and one on their homestand. Uh, they play at Central Connecticut on Tuesday night. Uh, that's a warm-up game for Bryant. Uh, that's a, a coin flippish type game, according to Ken Palm. Uh, you'd like to see the Bears get it. It would be big for their confidence to try and string back-to-back -back performances together. Um, you know, but Coyte, I, I look at Brown and I think, you know, Maine won at BC. They, there's certainly some sort of baseline talent level there. Uh, you know, at times in the second half, particularly the stretch where Brown opened up the lead, they looked pretty good. Yeah, they did. Um, you know, I'll say this about Maine, um, you know, because I know that Brian's going to see them in America East here coming up. The style is different, and it's it's a good different. Um, you know, Chris Woodward is a, is an alum of the school, um, and you can tell they they play a little bit faster. I think the the game's a little bit more modern, and I think that's been refreshing for the Black Bears. And you know, so that's why I think it was uh, it, it it got tight, you know, down the stretch. But for Brown, you know, Mike Martin said after the game to us on the TV broadcast that you know he's focusing on the first thirty minutes, the last ten. You know, it was one of those, they built a big lead, they had a big lead, and it was like, wow, we have a big lead. What do we do with it? And and so I think that's a learning experience for the Bears. It is. Um, but I think the first 30 minutes uh, is something that that Mike was, was really happy about, particularly the way that they shared the basketball offensively, because it wasn't, Keno went off, and he made a couple of nice moves, you know, during that 11-3 stretch of his own there in the second half, but the way that they were working the basketball offensively, I think he really liked the looks that they were getting. He liked the shots that they were taking, whether they went down or whether they didn't in the first 30 minutes. Um, but during that stretch, I, th I think Kino getting the looks that he got, you know, really sort of played into his confidence during that run. Um, and so they, they really were, they were pleased with what they were able to do offensively in that game. And, you know, I, I think that bodes well for a team that Mike Martin has said all along, he feels like they can be a very good shooting team. Uh, and we saw that on display against Maine. It's a, it's a good win at home.
Yeah, 11 three-pointers is not easy to knock down, uh, you, know, you know, even though seven come from Lily himself. Uh, and, and you do it without Dan Friday, you know, who's, who's probably their third, third best player on the roster. Um, but, you know, it's, it's good just to give other guys experience. Um, and uh, they've got a, a big stretch coming up now. They've got four games, I think, in, in the next nine days, I believe. Um, so, you know, they're all, all regional games for the most part. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, like Billy, like you said, you know, you go to Central and, and you can get a win, get back-to-back wins for the first time this season and bring a little momentum up to Smithfield um, because uh, that one will be good and that one will be tough on Friday for Brown. Yeah, four games uh, going into December 7th at URI, uh, you know, and then a fifth game at Michigan State, five straight on the road for the Bears. Uh Locally, the first four, certainly, uh, you know, not huge travel. Central Connecticut, Hartford, um, you know, Bryant and, and you or I aren't, aren't heavy lifts, but uh, certainly not the comforts of home. Uh, to the point that, that Coit was making 16 assists on 25 field goals for Brown in that game. Um, you know, that is important. I thought Paxson Wojcik made a big contribution, 11 points, eight rebounds, no turnovers in, in 35 minutes. He was competitive in that game. They need that sort of steal from him, um, you know, because on the perimeter, you, you've got, without Friday especially, he's a very physical player. Uh, you need someone else to step into that void, and I think Wojcik did a good job of that. Uh, Maine went to a little zone toward the end after Brown opened it up, and I think that confused the Bears a little bit every once in a while at a team goes zone midstream. It, it's difficult to adjust, and um, you know Brown struggled to get some looks down the stretch, and, and it got a little too tight. But ultimately, you you get the result. That's what you're looking for. Um, you know the Bears will get ready for Central Connecticut on Tuesday. Um, the Lady Bears, Coity, the Lady Bears are on a run here. Uh huh. Five in a row. Uh, they beat the Blue Devils on Monday night. Um, a win at Central Connecticut by 23, 69, 46. Uh, to put it in some perspective, the Brown women are five and two. Last year they finished six and 20. They've got about 20 more games to win one to match last season's win total. If, if you want to look at progress uh, made by Monique LeBlanc, you can look at that. Uh, you know, Grace Arnley is now the two-time Ivy League Rookie of the Week. Um, you know, she ha- has turned into very quickly a player that they are going to rely on here. Um, you know, and I look at the Brown women and, and I, you know, I keep going back to the preseason where they're picked last in the Ivy League. Well, unless they're playing the softest schedule in the country, I, I would say that uh, they are going to very much challenge that preseason prediction made by the coaches in that league. Well, and what I was impressed with, Friday, Bill, was the fact that Bella Mauricio, who we've talked about as a, as a great player for them, she was out, wasn't playing, wasn't on the floor. And Kyla Jones uh, against Monmouth got in foul trouble. And so she, there were large stretches where she was not on the floor and Brown was still able to go in and win that game. Um, Arnely was uh, great in that game. I believe 23 points, which is a career high. Um, I just, I like her edge. I like her personality. I like the way she plays. Um, you know, I, I think the freshman class that, uh, Monique LeBlanc has brought in, uh, they're contributing right away. Uh, and so, yeah, it's they're They are fun to watch. They're really, they have been fun to watch so far. Uh, and then, you know, they have the, you know, the, the win here over the weekend and, 
you know, obviously, you know, Kyla Jones comes back and, you know, is, is, you know, the, the great player she's been so far this year. So um, yeah, they're, they're fun so far. I think that the rebuild is, is, is on and it's uh, it's happening fast at Brown now. And like you said, one more win and you're matching last year's total. Yeah. You're, you're on a, you're on a good pace here. Yeah. It's definitely something that, that you look at and you think, okay, how do we, you know, how do we become relevant? How do we get better? How did, how do coaches sort of see that when they take a job? I'm, I'm always interested in the confidence that they have in themselves and, and the confidence they have that they will be able to recruit and develop players. I, I remember, you know, very vividly when, when Dan Hurley took the URI job and they were seven and 24 and, you know, the guys transferring and guys in trouble off the floor. And, uh, you know, I remember he, he used to say every once in a while, even in that first year, he would say, when we're good, X, Y, and Z will happen. And I'm thinking to myself, Dan, you guys are really bad. I, I don't know how you see a day where you're going to be really good. I, I understand that you back your abilities and, you know, you greatly believe in yourself and that's why you have the job that you do. Um, you know, but when he would say, when we're good, this will happen. I, I just remember thinking this, this is a touch preposterous. Uh, but time and again, you see coaches come into programs. Jared Grasso is another, takes over a 3-28 and 28 Bryant program and, and has him in the NCAA tournament four years later. Uh, you know, Monique LeBlanc is, is the latest here with the Brown women. Uh, you know, Tammy Reese, obviously, right down the road at URI, has done the same thing. Um, you know, so you, you look at coaches and, and players and the way that they're able to invest in one another uh, and, and what they're able to build together. And Brown is, is really at the beginning stages of that. It's really nice to see. Uh, they have Holy Cross coming in on Wednesday night to the Pizzatola Center. That is their mental health awareness game. Uh, you know, guys, just a, a quick moment on that. Uh, you know, Coit and I got into it a little bit on the pod last week, just about mental health awareness and how important it is coming off COVID and, and isolation and, uh, you know, the disruption that, that a lot of these kids have had in their lives the last two years, just how different it's been and, and how nice it is just to be back to normal. Um, you know, I know mental health is, is something that, you know, we talk about more now, uh, you know, more openly, um, you know, something that we're encouraged to talk about more. It, it was something that, you know, you used to keep to yourself and, and it was almost taboo in a way, um, you know, to share those things with friends or family or, or strangers, uh, you know, or to ask for help at a certain time. Um, you know, that was viewed as, as weakness or, you know, something was wrong with you. And, you know, obviously that's not the case and, and never was, um, you know, and I, I just think it's so important that Brown is playing a game like that to bring awareness to that conversation. Um, you know, I know it's it's something that I've struggled with at times. Um, you know, I've certainly had my issues, whether it's, you know, with my own self-image or, or how I'm perceived or, uh, you know, how I feel about myself on a given day. Um, you know, I know it's it, it hasn't always been roses for me. Uh, you know, and it's it's sort of a, a daily thing for me to to try and figure out, you know, my place and you know my foundation and uh, you know how I can be happy and 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 be comfortable in the world. I, it's it's not something I take for granted, and you know I think it's really important that Brown is is drawing some conversation to that, and and I think it's something that um, you know we should be mindful of in the sports world as well. 
Well, and with the kids too, you know, I'll say this, Bill, uh, I, I, we're sitting here talking on, on zoom and doing a podcast on zoom. It just still amazes me all the things that the kids went through here with the pandemic and COVID and the fact that they were doing, I was just talking about being a, you know, a college professor, the fact they were doing classes through this, this is how they were learning and teaching and, um, you know, having to go to school. I, I think it, it amazes me, um, you know, and the fact that they've been able to get back out in the world here and, and do this is, uh, you know, a great thing. But I, yeah, the, the things that kids got, have went through, I can't imagine going through it myself when I was their age. And so, um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a great thing to bring an awareness to this. Yeah. And, and, and it shouldn't just be, you know, because, you know, we're you know, hopefully, you know, just with COVID in the rear view, it should be a, it should be an annual game. Uh, it should be, it should continue, you know, on down in the future and uh, year in and year out programs, not even just in the Ivy league, not even just here in Rhode Island, you know, teams across the country should, um, you know, just like there's, uh, you know, breast cancer awareness games and just like there's, um, you know, other games, black history, whether it's in, during black history month or things like that, it's, it's just important to bring, um, you know, things, you know, to the forefront uh, because college teams, college games, um, they have special platforms um, and people tend to pay attention a little bit more uh, when these issues and these causes and um, uh, are brought to light. And, you know, definitely want to echo what Bill said. And, um, you know, it's super important uh, to get it out there because, you know, even for us too, and uh, I've struggled with some of the same stuff that Bill has. And um, it's just, it's, you know, we have we have jobs that are in the public eye and we come on here and we talk college basketball and it sounds like, you know, you know, our day is going to be tremendous. We get to go on TV. We get to sit on the sideline, you know, at a col- at a division one college basketball game that could be on national television or is on national television. And um, just because the, in, in the area that we work in or or or, you know, some of these coaches and players, the platforms that they have doesn't always mean it's roses behind the scenes as well. Um, so it's important to, uh, it's never too late to, to ask for help, to, to get started, to, to see a therapist, to see a psychiatrist, um, just have an outlet. Um, and I know, uh, you know, you guys have been great outlets for me and, uh, hopefully I've been the same, uh, not to get too, uh, too, uh, emotional here on the pod, but, but it's, uh, it's great, you know, definitely the community that we have here in Rhode Island, you know, sports media wise, um, you know, we've, we've been close for a while and, uh, we'll continue to do so and, know that we all have our best interest in mind and, 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 uh, and at heart. Yeah. So, you know, thanks to Brown, obviously for, for starting that conversation, for, for shining a light on it. Uh, you know, it's one that we continue to have and, and, and one that, uh, is necessary. Uh, you know, and obviously, uh, you know, the, the side benefit is we get a great basketball game out of it. Uh, you know, Holy Cross has, has been a good team regionally for a while now. Um, you know, you've had uh, regional recruits play there. Uh, you've had uh, players from Rhode Island play there. I can think of uh, Meredith Ward, who was a star at Westerly. Uh, Bethany O'Dell, who was a star at Lincoln. Uh, Aluchi Azema, somebody a little more recent who played at Moses Brown, um, was a terrific player there. Um, you know, so should be fun on Wednesday night. I actually plan to be there. Uh, you know, I think I'm going to check in on the bears and, and, uh, you know, take their temperature in terms of, you know, what they're starting to build there. Uh, Providence also off to an excellent start on the women's side, six and two going into big East play this week. They won their Friar Thanksgiving classic this weekend, three and O Janae Crooms was the MVP 
of the tournament. Uh, they took out Bryant in the finale, 85-60. Crooms had 19 points, 13 rebounds, seven assists in that game. Uh, pretty much all around dominance from Janae, who, who was playing at a very high level so far early in the year. Uh, the degree of difficulty ramps up considerably for the Friars this week. At number three, UConn on Friday, home to number 25, Villanova on Sunday. Uh, I, I think I'll be at Alumni Hall on Sunday to watch a visit from Maddie Segrist, who is the uh, all-time scoring leader in the Big East. She set a single-season record last year, and, and it's trending to being an All-American this year. Um, you know, but the Friars off to a really good start despite some injuries. Uh, I know Kylie Shepard was out a little bit. Grace Afosa, uh has battled a, a bit of an injury now and, and was out there last game against Bryant. Um, you know, but the Friars look like they've got some pretty good pieces going forward here. And, you know, if you could get a split this week to start Big East play somehow, some way, if you're able to knock off the Huskies or the Wildcats, uh, you know, that would give them huge momentum going into December. Well, and you play a, a you know Thanksgiving classic on your home floor, and you take care of business like that. Uh, I think that's a great feeling. And that first game too, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you know it was Olivia Olson was was really good in that game. And I, I don't think Janae, I think she only was single digit scoring. Um, you know, and she ends up being the MVP of the tournament. Obviously, has a great weekend. So, uh, yeah, you're getting contributions from from different players, and um, you know, to play well, to put together a few wins. You know, in your home gym, I think that's a that's a great thing for for Jim Crowley's team. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Does Villanova have another Swider uh, at the school right now? I think one of uh, one of the Swider sisters is there right now. Is it Kylie? I think Kylie's on the roster, right? If I'm not mistaken, Kylie is there. She was last season. Yeah. Uh, hang on, I'll look it up. As yeah. you were. <laughs> she is. Yeah, she's junior. Yep, still there. Uh, yep. Transfer portal being what it is, you're never sure these days. But I know. Yes, still there. Yep. So there you go. Another local connection here on uh, on Sunday when they come in to play the Friars. Yeah, and, and if you would imagine, uh, you know, obviously forward, I, I wonder where she gets the hype from if you've ever met her parents and, and obviously <laughs> her brother is in the NBA. Uh, you know, you, would, you wouldn't have expected a 5'8 point guard, uh, you know, Kylie Swider. Um, you know, Villanova, obviously a, a good team. Uh, UConn, they speak for themselves. Uh, you know, they won their side of the Phil Knight legacy, uh, beating Iowa in the championship game. They're doing this without Paige Beckers, who's out for the year. She has a knee injury. Uh, unfortunately, we wish her well in, in her recovery because she is one of the bright lights in women's college basketball and the sport in general. Uh, and her missing the season is, is a loss for the game. Uh, you know, not just a loss for UConn. Um, you know, I know her freshman year when they were coming out of the pandemic, I, I watched a fair amount of uh, basketball on TV. And, you know, you, you're just looking at someone like that who just takes the stage so immediately in the way that she did, gets all the way to the national championship game. Um, you know, you're very impressive. Uh, you know, and, and UConn has an army of stars. You, you, you go down the list. Um, you know, but the Friars, you know, looking – Closer to full health, uh, Ifoza came back for the tournament, um, you know, missed a game at Boston College. Shepard coming back is huge. They did not have her against URI and lost that game. Uh, she might have been able to make a little bit of a difference in the second half. 
Um, but to Coit's point, you, you've got Olsen and that sophomore class really maturing quickly here. They've taken a big jump from year one to year two uh, and have given Providence a, a very good base of talent. Uh, you know, Maury, just Nova in general, uh, you know, I know they've been a contender in the Big East, not necessarily to the UConn to Paul level of last year, but, you know, someone like Segrist, where does she stand in, in terms of the landscape in, in Philly? She's got to be trying to elbow her way into relevancy there, no? Oh, no doubt. Without without a doubt, you know, for sure. Uh, especially with, you know, the way she popped on the scene last year, uh, what she did with Villanova last year, what she's doing this year. Uh, you know, to be the all-time leading scorer in, in, in Big East Conference, it's, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's a, quite a feather in her cap. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm sure she's got big plans this year. Um, she sees that Paige Beckers is out for the season and, you know, she's, uh, I'm sure she's, you know, licking her chops. They have another crack at the Huskies. Um, uh, but if the Huskies are what they were in the Phil Knight, uh, invite, then, um, you know, AZ Fudd's going to have something to say, but, uh, Seeger's definitely, uh, without a doubt, the best, best college player that Philadelphia has seen in, in quite some time. Yeah, so we look at that one. Sunday, 1 o'clock, uh, I will be in the house at Alumni Hall. At least I plan to be at this point. Uh, URI returns home after a two-game sweep through the UCF tournament in Florida, uh, beating Southeast Missouri State and Samford. Uh, the last game was on Sunday, 75-63 win over the Bulldogs, witnessed by URI royalty, Jimmy Barron, Florida resident, uh, basketball trainer at IMG Academy, was in the house to watch his alma mater. Shout out to Jimmy. He's one of the classiest to ever do it. Um, you know, watching his old classmate, Megan Shoniker, get it done on the bench on Tammy Reese's staff. Uh, you know, love to see the support there from the alumni network. And if you are anywhere that the URI women come, you you do want to get out and see them play because they are 5-1 and one at this point. Uh, they play Buffalo at home on Thursday. That'll be a nice mid-major showdown. Uh, you know, Buffalo has had a good program in recent years. That was a game that URI played on the road last year. I think they lost that one. Um, you know, they'll be looking to get the Bulls back in this one. Uh, you know, but you look at URI and, you know, aside from a, a, an early stumble, um, you know, you're looking at this team with, with great balance across front. They had six players with at least eight points in this game against Samford. Uh, Maya Torre continues to break out. She had 14. Um, you know, URI is, is just kind of humming along here at this point. We, we take for granted that they're going to win games now. Um, and that's not something that we really ever did in, in recent history. We, we just take for granted that URI is going to go to Florida and they're going to play these two other mid-majors in, in Semo and, and Samford, and they're going to get it done. Uh, you know, and that's what Tammy Reese has been able to establish here. Uh, that was her 50th career win on Saturday. She's the fastest URI women's coach, 250 wins in program history. Uh, and I think it's appropriate considering the way that she has been able to impact this program in her short time in Kingston. Uh, you know, she really has something special there. Yeah. And I, um, I got to see them last week uh, against Coppin state and, you know, I was really impressed. I, I don't think Tammy was, was, um, you know, particularly, it was one of those nights where they, they sort of had to grind out a win. And I think those are, those are great nights for your team because it didn't feel like they had their, most consistent or best game, but when it mattered, they made the plays that they needed to. Uh, I've been really impressed with what I've seen out of Maya Torre. 
Um, and just in late in games too, she's making the right plays late in games to win. Um, and that's such a great, great quality. You know, if you have somebody that can close out, you know, a game and, and help you win, even on a night, that's not your best. Um, you know, I think that's a great thing. So, um, you know, good qualities to see from a roster that is, has, has a couple of faces that are familiar, but it's, it's very different from what they had last year. And that's, that speaks to the kind of program that that Tammy and and the staff there have have built up. Yeah, it's a good good non conference schedule with some you know different challenges from teams that you don't often see uh, in in places that you don't often play. Um, in, in order to get this team as experienced in a season as possible before the Atlantic Ten play begins. Yeah, and so you or I, uh, you know, we mentioned the roster and the talent on the roster. You're, you're still waiting for a debut from Ten and Magasa. That should happen this month. Uh, Dayton transfer, who had shoulder surgery in the offseason. Uh, you know, she will give them a major factor in the paint. Six-five rim protector, uh, shot blocker. Um, you know, somebody who's going to add some depth to that front line. Uh, you know, but you look at you or I and you look at their player development, someone like Torre, who, who barely played her first two seasons. They got her to buy in, uh, you know, got her to invest in herself, take the extra time, improve her game. And, and now, you know, you look and she's been their best player to this point. Um, you know, someone who was carrying this team and you could imagine her playing next to Magasa and, you know, how formidable that front line is going to be uh, going into an A-10 play. Um, you can understand why the coach picked them third in the league preseason. And then you can understand why, you know, coaches looked at them and, and felt like they were just going to be able to carry over what they did last year. Um, you know, so they've, they've certainly got something going there. In Kingston, it's something worth turning out for. They had a decent crowd for Coppin State and they rewarded them uh, with a 6-0 run to finish and held on 67-60, that was a game that they would have lost in previous years. You know, maybe not last year, but but other years before that, um, you know, certainly would have found a way to lose that game. Instead, this group finds a way to win, Uh, you know, and it's a lot to be said for the head coach, for her staff, and and for the players on that roster. Um, Guys, last thing I I wanted to hit on, uh, the – State's basketball scene suffered a, a great loss over the weekend uh, with the passing of Don Cole, uh, URI radio color man for 35 years. He announced his retirement uh, in September. Uh, he was battling cancer, um, was going through treatment, um, you know, but was struggling. And, and I think he knew that, uh, you know, he wasn't going to be able to commit to a full season. And, and, and obviously, um, you know, his health was taking a little bit of a downturn. Uh, you know, he's 77, uh, leaves his wife, Caroline. They were high school and college sweethearts, uh, three kids, 10 grandkids, uh, you know, was a, a very successful insurance executive on Aquidneck Island, uh, you know, and then beyond that, when he retired, uh, you know, transitioned to his alma mater's radio booth for so long and, and was on the call for so many great memories, whether it was, in the Elite Eight run in the 90s, uh, you know, couple A-10 tournament championships, uh, a regular season championship in 2018. Um, you know, but what I'll remember about Don more than his career is, is just the class uh, of the man. Uh, he personified what a gentleman is supposed to be uh, in, in every way, um, you know, whether it was as a family man, as a professional, uh, as a friend and colleague, 
Um, you know, Don was the best of us, uh, and he will be greatly missed. I, I feel terribly for Caroline. I, I feel terribly for Steve McDonald, his longtime radio partner. I know they were very close. Um, you know, and for anyone else that he touched. Uh, and so I, I offer condolences to Don and his family. Um, you know, and I, I certainly, uh, I certainly would say that his life was one that was well lived. Well said, Bill. Um, you know, I think my only regret um, would be just not having uh, more interaction or having more time to interact with Don. Um, but I certainly, you know, in the few conversations that I had with him, um, just a gentleman, a, a classy man, and a man that, you know, just he bled Keeney Blue um, and and loved the program, um, you know, loved being around um, some of these coaches. I, th- I think it struck me, you know, with some of the um, – you know, comments made by, by Archie Miller last night, just the fact that, you know, he was so welcoming and and so thrilled that, you know, a guy like Archie was taking over the program. It's Don was one of those people that, you know, you enter into a program like this and he's one of the first people that will reach out, talk to you and tell you everything you need to know because he loves it so much. Um, and I think that's the best thing you can say about Don was that he was a Rhode Island Ram. I think Archie called him a godfather of the program. And I think that's perfect, perfect description for him. Um, and me personally, I'll just miss, you know, there are nights where I'll get off the news desk at 630 and there's a seven o'clock tip off in Kingston. So I'll probably, I'll have to show up probably 10 to 15 minutes late to the game, trying to get down to Kingston. But that always allowed me to turn on the radio dial and listen to Steve and Don and, you know, I'll miss not being able to hear, uh, you know, Dawn on on the color uh, with Steve because they're just, you know, so tied together. And so I, I feel for Steve. I, I feel for Dawn's family, you know, and, you know, obviously had uh, kids and grandkids. And so, um, you know, I feel for them. My thoughts are with them and my thoughts are with the, the roadie community because Don was a, a great man. Yeah, I echo both of what you guys have said and, you know, wish I had more time to to pick his brain, you know, not even just about hoops, but about life. Um, and it, it is so much more impressive when you can uh, supplement everything you did on the court, off the court, um, you know, and uh, he's, he's got to be on the Mount Rushmore uh, of, of people with the URI men's basketball program that made an impact, you know, as a player. Um, and then obviously on the sidelines and um, in your local community to do it all around here. Um go to a public high school and, and to do the great things he did with those Rogers teams, um, you know, far reaching uh, life um, on and off the court. So uh, definitely a tip of the cap, cap to him. Uh, hopefully, you know, the guys on this year's team and, and going forward will continue to learn about him and continue to play for him uh, and play the game the right way in his memory. Yeah. It's uh, you know, it's one of those things you, college sports being what it is your your history is just so ingrained in in you know your program your fan base it, it's something that head coaches use to recruit to um you know those legacies that you have and you know that standing that you have in whether it's in the community or in the state um you know or in the sports landscape around your university um you know and don call was definitely part of that and uh you know i i know he had close relationships with with former coaches, whether it was Al Skinner, Jim Barron. Uh, I know he was in touch with quite a bit. Um, you know, Dan Hurley, fresh off winning the Phil Knight Invitational, flying back from uh, Portland back to UConn uh, and tweeted out, 
about Don's loss. He said, we've lost a truly great man. And, and that's, you know, Dan Hurley at a high point, years removed from his time at URI, still taking a minute to recognize Don Call. I, I think it says a lot about who Don was if, if you're going to have that sort of moment. Um, you know, I know Delroy James was one of the former players who, who tweeted something about Don, Jimmy Barron the same. Uh, you know, I'm sure other guys did as well. Those were the ones that I happened to see. Um, you know, and, and certainly, uh, you know, someone who deserves to be celebrated uh, will be spoken of fondly uh, for as long as, as uh, folks who knew him are around. Um, you know, so with that, uh, we will wrap up this particular edition of the pod. Uh, we will get ready for Rivalry Week. Uh, you know, its conclusion at the end, Friday and Saturday, we will get deep into Bryant Brown, URIPC, uh, when we return. Thank you all very much.